I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And can the Bucs have what they would say is too much talent on offense? And why are they disappearing in the primetime games this year? Will Wander Franco be up with the Rays next season? And the suspension for Antonio Brown has ended, but the suspense continues. How will the Bucks use Brown against the Saints? We asked Bruce Arians. We've got that and all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, Lightning fans, don't miss out on a chance to save $10 on the best gift you can give yourself or the Bolts on your Christmas list. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup Championship book. This beautiful 160-page hardcover keepsake entitled Thunderstruck is filled with stories and photos from the Tampa Bay Times writers and photographers. You get to relive the magical moments throughout the playoffs and the championship. You'll feel the chills, thrills, and spills from the entire season every time you look through this book. Now go to boltsbook.com now. That's boltsbook.com, and you can place your order. Retail cost of the book is $39.95. You order now, you can save $10. That's $29.95 plus shipping and handling. And uh, look, the books will ship by December 4th. So this offer is expiring on December 24th. You want to make sure you go to boltsbook.com now to get your order. All right, Steve. So I had a chance to uh, talk to Bruce Arians again on our Zoom call, uh, kind of a post-mortem, if you will. Not many insights from what went down, of course, on Monday Night Football. They were just awfully glad to get out of there with a win. I know we got questions about the Bucks in primetime coming up. Um, but the big story this week, of course, is the the game against the New Orleans Saints. And, and it's very possible that these guys, they're human beings. They might have been looking ahead of the one-in-six Giants who gave them gave them fits. I mean, I thought, you know, they're, they're, Jason Garrett called an unbelievable game, might have actually uh, provided some hints for some other teams to, to go against this defense. But uh, they did make the adjustments at halftime. They got the turnovers, and then Tom Brady cashed in with some big-time throws to some big-time players with Rob Gronkowski and Mike Evans. Uh, the sidebar to the week, and I think we'll have a chance to talk to him today, as a matter of fact, for the first time because he's back at practice or at practice for the first time, is Antonio Brown. Of course, the the talented uh, but troubled wide receiver, 32 years old, seven Pro Bowls. Um, this guy is, is going to join the team uh, for the first time since signing with them. I had to go through protocol and had to go through a bunch of strength and conditioning, but he'll be at practice today. Uh, the only thing is the practice is a walkthrough. Uh, because you know they they had the Monday night game got in early early Tuesday morning, players had some time off, and then uh, it's still too soon after all that contact to really work very hard on Wednesdays, which is a, usually a heavy work day. So they'll do a walk through kind of practice, and Brown will be there. And you know the the, the suspense is is just how they're going to use him. I mean, I think it's a little easier to figure that out perhaps if uh, you know if Chris Godwin can't go with that index finger that's broken on his left hand. Um, if he comes back, I mean, I think what you're going to eventually see is, and they did some of this a couple of weeks ago when Godwin was healthy, is some four receiver sets. Um, they kind of went away from some of the two tight end stuff that they were doing once 
OJ Howard got hurt. Cam Brake does come in a little bit. Did this his past uh, game on Monday night? But uh, you know, you you could see a situation where they run a lot of four wide receivers, and certainly Antonio would be part of that. If Godwin is out, you know he's going to be one of the three with Scotty Miller and and Mike Evans. And you know, credit Mike Evans. I mean, you know, he did admit that they came to him and they asked him, you know, how he would feel about Brown joining the team and. You know, he he thought about it and was was all for it. I mean, this is a guy that's it's got a ton of personal accolades with the six one thousand yard seasons. Him and Randy Moss, the only players to do that. But he's never made it to the postseason. He's only had one regular season where they had a winning record. So he's hungry for some of that success and willing to do uh, what he needs to do. So uh, we'll have a chance to uh, probably to talk to Brown a little bit, see where his head is at. Just uh, you know, see. How much Tom Brady pushed for him? Obviously, you know Brady has has come out and said that um, you know he's just trying to help out a teammate that doesn't know anybody here, and uh, he's staying with him in his home for a little bit until he finds a place. So uh, we'll ask Brown about that. It'll be it'll be interesting to see just what his attitude is and sort of how this all how this all came about. I know he's got some guys that are on his coaching staff that were former teammates of his and Byron Leftwich and you know certainly uh, Antoine Randall and. Uh, and Larry Foote and those guys, but you know this is a guy who, when he's right, he's an absolute beast. Even at 32, uh, as a wide receiver, he's very difficult to cover. He's quick. Um, played you know one game with Brady, but had a really good con, a really good you know outing against the Miami Dolphins for some more trouble surface, and they got rid of him. So it's going to be going to be fascinating to watch. Also, um, we didn't cut, talk any college football from the weekend, Steve. Did you see this Florida brawl that they had going on at the uh, at the end of the game there? I, the end, was it the end of the half? It was the end of the half. So Trask got yeah. uh, it was a late hit by the Missouri uh, defensive player. Uh, yeah, you know, pretty much a cheap shot when you look at how late it was uh, to end the half there, and and yeah, ended up in a big fight. Yeah, and you know, I I kind of got the sense that Dan Mullen incited it a little bit, or maybe more than a little bit. He looked like he was the first guy charging off the bench. <laughs> After the hit, and I think his players kind of followed suit, um, you know. And of course, he he eventually you know got together with the coaches. I mean, I understand why you're upset. You see your quarterback get hit late. That that's sort of, I mean, that's sort of an offensive lineman's job to pull guys off of him, and um, they should confront the other team. And I I don't know what happens after that. You don't want to fight to to break out, but look, you got to protect your guy. And I get all that. I don't know that Mullen made things better. I think he made it a little bit worse. And then going off the field, he's getting the crowd all riled up, you know. And what the hell was that after the game with the Darth Vader? <laughs> the Darth, I know it's Halloween, but geez, well, comes out in the Darth Vader ha- helmet. When that happened, I mean, the first thing you, if you're if you're Dan Mullen, the first thing you got to think is I got Georgia next week. I can't yeah. get guys suspended. I can't. Good point. I've got to calm this down. I mean, I, yes, you want to protect your quarterback, and I'm, you know. I'm not saying right. you just have to walk away, but if the first thing Dan Mullen's got to be thinking is, we get can't my guys have, to the bench. Yeah. yeah, we've already had COVID issues in this this year, and, and not that anything to do with it. But our biggest game—I mean, you know—if we're going to win the division, we've got to win next week. And so, if you got guys getting suspended because of a fight, you're really you know hurting yourself for next week. And you know, and like I said, you have to protect your guys. But you know, if I'm Dan Mullen, the first thing I got to do on that field is make sure none of my other guys are getting involved, because you know, next week matters too. I mean, you were up in that game, and it was in the first, you know, second half, still to play. So Missouri could have come back, but you were playing well. Your defense played really well that game, 
but you've got to protect your guys for next week. It's not about retaliating for your, your quarterback's hit, although, you know, a little bit is fine, but you can't have the other guys getting in a fight and risk the suspension. Right. Yeah, and, and, and it just – I mean, I know Dan – I think he's a really good coach, first and foremost, and, and I think he's done a good job at Florida. I don't know him personally. I would say this. Don't you need to win something first before <laughs> before you kind of develop this attitude? I mean, like, you got to beat Georgia, okay? Like, at some point – you need to play for the SEC title and 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 have a chance to win that game, but you got to get there first. So this is a big weekend for the Gators, and I don't know. There's just it seems to be a little bit of showmanship going on. Um, you know, you've got a good quarterback, and and you've got some really good skill players, especially on offense. The defense seems like it may have gotten a little nasty to it and and turned the corner some, which is what you needed to see. Maybe not a brawl, but uh, but something like that. And so I would just say easy, big guy, <laughs> you know, just don't become like, you know, I don't know who to compare. Who would you compare him to in college football? That's kind of like, is it Harbaugh? I mean, who, who, who's kind of in your face like that? You know what I mean? Like, don't you get, a, get off my lawn kind of guy. Well, if know. you're going to say the guys who haven't won, won anything yet, I mean, but as a good coach, Harbaugh may be a good comparison. Although, I mean, I think they're very different in regards, but yeah. Um, uh, who's got Penn? Who's got Penn State? James Franklin. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah. you can compare him to James Franklin. Frank Franklin's one of those guys. Like everybody I know that's a Penn State fan, they love Franklin. They're like, oh, he's a great, and he, he's an unbelievable recruiter, and he did an unbelievable job at Vanderbilt and all this stuff. In my opinion, worst game day coach in America. In America it's not even close. That that is like, the critique in, of him. Yes. Oh my gosh, he's been in more big games, you know, for Big Ten titles, and you know. Chan- uh, and just, just the the most the simplest things, you know, just didn't get it done. But um, uh, of course, they had that that situation with uh, Indiana going back a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah, but yeah, Mullen, I, that was just weird. And then you know the whole Halloween thing. Okay, you're putting on a costume. You know, don't be too <laughs> don't be too out there, man. <laughs> you know, just be my football coach. I don't need you to be the center of attention. There's lots of uh, you know deflected to your players those are the athletes they're the ones playing the game that's the thing about college football it's it is such a coach's deal right i mean you identify every school with its with its head coach i don't know where else i mean the nfl isn't quite like well that. but but they're the only ones getting paid well right allegedly well uh, the ones getting the most money yeah, but yes. yeah right allegedly i mean yeah. they're the only ones getting paid and the, and the roster turns over every four years so they're the face of the they're the face of the team and mm-hmm. and, and, you and know, it has to be, because it, look that's how you recruit too Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, why does Jim Harbaugh do some of the stuff he does and and stay mm-hmm. in the press? It's about recruiting. Yeah. Why oh, does Dan absolutely. Mullen do some of that stuff? It's about recruiting. And and, and while they're eating up. It, it may yeah. turn off some individuals, it, it's not targeted to you. It's targeted to an eighteen-year-old kid. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. And I've I've watched. Um, we happen. I'm going to drop some names. If you want to pick this up, but I watched. I watched Harbaugh. Um, it, it was just kind of a fluky thing. We we're out in Hawaii. They were out in Hawaii, him and his wife, and mm-hmm. we've, we've known them through the 49ers or whatever when Jim coached there. But uh, uh, I watched him not go on a beach with his kids, you know, learning, you know, doing like uh, paddle boarding and things with his wife. He sat he sat up there uh, kind of on the pool deck and, and was, was texting and calling. He was there for a clinic, first and foremost. He was mm-hmm. there, he was there to, 
to kind of recruit and put on a football clinic. But so it was all written off. The trip was written it off. Was ev- is- oh, everything. I mean, he he went on like a nine week. No, seriously, he went on like a nine week trip yeah. all over the all over the world. Yeah, he was doing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that a couple years ago. He was doing. Uh, yeah, he was doing recruiting trips, like even in Australia and stuff, if I recall. There you go. And and so he just happened to stop in Hawaii because you know there's some good. There's actually some good football players in Hawaii. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, look at Tua. Um, and, and, and some others and, and Marcus Mariota and them from St. Louis school. So he went over there and was recruiting, but he started calling guys back in the States and, um, and talking to him and I'm like, Jim, Jim, let's, we're going down the beach. You're like one, 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 one minute, one minute. It was like an hour and a half later. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't put it down in Hawaii, man, that's pretty tough. But, uh, but yeah, those guys are eating up with it, but college football, it is about the coaches. There's no doubt about that. And speaking of college football, we're going to have our college football expert and writer of the Tampa Bay Times, Matt Baker, join us on Friday to talk about the world's largest cocktail party, or also known as the Florida-Georgia game. Should be a good one this week, and uh, that will obviously go a long way to deciding who's representing that side of the uh, of the conference in the SEC title game, I would presume against Alabama, but... Okay, so we got lots of questions. I would imagine a few on the Buccaneers and uh, maybe the Rays, and let's get it started. All right, we'll start with Carl. Carl asks, can the Bucks have too much talent on offense? Don't get me wrong, I love it, but so many to distribute the ball to to set up a rhythm and make everyone happy. Egos can kill a locker room and for some can cut into incentives in a contract. Yeah, I've often wondered about that. Um, you know, the thing of it is is that it's just that football is such an attrition sport that it's kind of like saying, you know, do we have enough tires to finish the race in NASCAR? Like, can you have too many? I mean, like, you're going to use them all at some point. And I think, you know, there are teams that just get outbreaks of injuries at certain positions. You can't explain it. Um, the Bucks have been fortunate that, the you know, knock on wood, their five offensive linemen have all been healthy. They, they do have a number of running backs. They added to that, obviously, with Leonard Fournette. Shady McCoy hasn't gotten on the field in two weeks, much less, you know, their their rookie running back Keyshawn Vaughn, so you know it always comes down to you know are we gonna are we gonna dress the sixth receiver or the fourth running back or so on and so forth because you only have so many helmets on game day, but I mean I think these guys for the most part if you look at who they brought in, uh, I think a guy like McCoy knew that he wasn't going to be a bell cow maybe maybe he thought there was more of an opportunity because he didn't know Ronald Jones and and Jones wasn't established. Um, however that worked out, he didn't intend on Leonard Fournette coming in after him. I can assure you of that, but I think he's, I think they're, they've all generally accepted, you know, that they're going to be used at some point and that, um, you're going to root for the other guy and, and they all want to ring. So, uh, I think Tom Brady has done a good job of, of having guys, you know, keep, you know, keep their eyes on the prize and not, you know, not be too selfish and, and not worry about things, but there's no question that, you know, when you keep adding, you know, somebody's going to get left out. And that's the thing about Antonio Brown. You may bring him in here, it would be foolish not to use him. Well, okay, so who comes off the field? And and just being real about it, and, you know, you're a human being. You've been out since February with Tom Brady at the high schools, and you built all this goodwill and all this chemistry, and you made plays for him. You, you've sacrificed your body. And here comes a dude that did everything wrong, yeah, he's a Hall of Fame talent, but he's 32 years old. And he's kind of a mercenary at this point. And you, you know, you're the one behind getting him on your team because you feel like you need more. And um, that's that's probably a little hurtful to some of those guys, but they're not going to tell you that. They're going to go out there and compete. And uh, look, I think truly guys like Mike Evans, who's a superstar, 
is is one of the most unselfish guys you know that I've seen at that position. I mean, that is a you know the the position itself gets labeled as a diva because it's so reliant on everybody else. I mean, they you cannot throw the ball to yourself. You literally have to have somebody um, design plays for you, get you open, and have a guy that can deliver it. So you know they they typically are the ones going back to the huddle saying I was open, I was open, and you get kind of a rap. But that is not not who Mike Evans is. I mean, Mike is a team first guy. He really does want to win. I think I think he wants to win more than he wants to catch a pass. I mean, that's just that's just how bad it is for him. So they've been lucky because I think they got the right guys that do the buy in. And and when you come from outside, I think you respect that. Um, these guys, there's a number of them have been here a while and have accomplished some things. So too much talent. Well, you wouldn't have thought they had too much talent when they went in Chicago, and Evans probably shouldn't have played, and Godwin was hurt but played. Uh, or no, Godwin was hurt and did not play, and then you had um, Miller who was hurt and didn't get a target, and it was it was a disaster. So I just think that Brady looked at that and said, you know, we need guys who can practice. I mean, nothing against Cyril Grayson, who just got released, um, you know, but you know, Jaden Mickens had more targets the other day than any other receiver on the field for the Bucks. I mean, Jaden Mickens, really? I mean, he's your kick return guy. He's done some things, you know, at other stops as a receiver, but um, not exactly the guy you want to feature. So you can't have too much talent, especially because it's a zero-sum game with Tom Brady. And some years, if you're trying to develop a guy and you bring in a bunch of guys in front of him and he didn't get the play, that's a mistake, Right. Because there are certain years where you say, "Look, we we got to we got to take a step back. We have a young quarterback. We got to develop players. I need some young players to get some experience." You put guys in front of them when you're not going anywhere. That's a mistake. But the Bucks have every intention of getting into the playoffs, going deep into the playoffs, and maybe a Super Bowl. So from that standpoint, I don't think they can have too much talent on offense. And then if they if there is somebody that wants to cause trouble and won't check their ego at the door, then you got to get rid of him. Well, I think one guy that'll be happy will be Mike Evans because that should eliminate some double coverage for him on for every sure. play too. For sure. I mean, Jaden Mickens no isn't taking the double coverage away from no from Mike. Evans. And Mike says Mike says he's starting to feel better on that ankle. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think he recognizes. And Bruce said exactly what you just did. He said, "Look, I think in the end of the day, Antonio Brown's going to make a lot of those receivers happy because they're not going to get the the you know the safety over the top look all day." Well, Ellis asked. He said, Chris Godwin's absence is definitely factored in. However, why are the Bucks all but disappearing in primetime games this season? Well, I mean, let's think about it. You know, um, they had the Thursday night game in Chicago, short week. A lot of guys hurt. We've documented that. And the Bears have a really good defense. And frankly, the game, even as badly as they played, and they had like six penalties on one drive, 11 for the game. Um, they had the ball with 248 or so to go in the game and just needed – you know, really just just needed a first down to close it out and couldn't do it. And uh, that was the first primetime game. This last one on Monday night was sort of a similar situation in that, you know, uh, I, I think they got a little too high in the saddle and thought, you know, we're going to take down this one and six Giants team. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not ready to play, you know, in the NFL, this is not college football where you you know you have a bunch of directional schools you play in between the conference games and and shellac them. I mean, everybody's good. These are the best players in the world, and some teams have a quarterback and some teams don't. Um, but you know, my theory is one of the reasons, and Bruce Arians kind of hinted at this the other day, and it's true. 
because unless you've been there, and of course most of you guys have not, but I've been to every game, even the ones on the road, especially the ones on the road. And look, there's nothing normal about 2020 in any job, um, much less professional sports, because these guys are above everything else. You know, they're entertainers, and uh, they respond to the energy of the crowd. They um, they feed off of that, positive or negative. If you're a visitor, same thing. And it's indescribable how weird it is to walk into these huge arenas, in some cases brand new ones like the one in Las Vegas with the Raiders, with all these amenities and all that's going on, and, and you walk in there, and it's it's like, I mean, it's like you just kind of stumbled upon it. Somebody left the gate open, and you went inside and looked around. Like, it's like, whoa, look, it's the, you know, it's the dome or it's the Death Star or whatever. And then a game breaks out. But you have to generate all your own energy, and it's not, you know, sort of that kind of game. And you get hyped up on the sidelines, sure. Um, but it's just it's weird. I mean, MetLife Stadium is, is an enormous, usually rocking stadium. And to come in there and say, yeah, I'm on Monday Night Football. The nation's watching me. I'm kind of hyped about this. But the reality is you get in there, and it's just stone-cold silence, or stone-cold as the case was the other day. And it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a Monday night football game. There's nothing, you know, you're playing football, but, you know, it's, it's just really hard to describe. And I think, you know, they've had trouble getting their energy going, particularly early in games on the road. And, um, you know, at home when they have some fans or, or even some other venues that they play with some partial fans, it doesn't seem to be as, as glaring. Maybe it's just the luck of the draw. Maybe they just not played well, you know, and the times that they that they've you know been away, but I know this that even with fifteen sixteen thousand fans at Raymond James to play the Saints, they're going to be so happy to get back home mm-hmm. uh, to play in a stadium that's got some people and familiar with it. And you can make some noise with that many. I mean, don't kid yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, with the music and the crowd noise. I mean, I think they'll be into it. But it's just been really antiseptic. It's hard. Again, it's I can't put my finger on it, but I know it's real, and Bruce knows it. Re- it's real, and he mentioned it the other day because of that. Well, don't forget too in the NFL, it's hard to win on the road in the NFL. They always say, "Look, a really good season in the NFL is you go undefeated at home and five hundred on the road. That gets you a twelve and four record." Well, the Bucks are three and zero at home, and they're three and two on the road. And yeah, they struggled against right. the, the the Giants, and they definitely struggled against the Bears and lost that game, but. It's it's not easy to win on the road in the NFL. It never has been. And this year may be even more weird with everything else going on, from the way you have to travel to, you know, what you do when you get in the city and, you know, every just everything about it. It's 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 a different year, but it's always been hard to win on the road. And so, you know, they're three and two on the road and they're undefeated at home. That's right where you want to be in, as far as the schedule goes. Yeah, absolutely. And and, you know, I think They've got some winnable games on the road still, and and um, you know if they can double this this record, I mean. Well, the good thing is your road games remaining now are the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Lions. There you go. You know, there's nobody there's nobody that scares you as far as a team. You know, now like I said, it's always hard to win on the road. And the Giants had one win, or still have one win at this point, and gave gave you a heck of a fight. But right, your road games from here on out are not your toughest competition. So, you know, I think that bodes well for the 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 bucks going forward. Yeah, no, I totally agree. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right. All right. Craig asked, based on the spike in cases and it really affecting games, do you see college football ending with bowl games or COVID stopping the season? Or if it ends with bowl games, how many players will opt out of the bowls and not, not play other than the playoffs? I don't know. You know, the bowl games thing is hard for me. I mean, I think, uh, and I might be mis. I don't want to. I don't want to be wrong about this because Jim McVeigh will kill me. But I think they're going to play the Outback Bowl and maybe not have a lot of the the activities around it. I think it's going to be really hard. I, I think if they play anything, it might be, um, you know, it, it might be a playoff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, those games will be played. I think in in whatever respective bowls that they play them in, but. Um, some of these other games, I, I, I think it's too dangerous. Um, and, and I think there's gonna be too many cases and when we start getting guys, you know, around the holidays and they're in, you know, they have to be either, you know, sequestered at the universities for the 30 days between, you know, their last game and, and the championship or whatever it is, it's going to be really hard to do. Um, bowl games are a trip. You want to bring people, you want to be together, you want to be able to go out and see things and, and, and it's, you know, if you can't have fans or full stadiums, who's going to travel with you? That's so, the thing I think is is how many of these bowl games are actually going to get played. And we've seen right. a few cancel so far. But if they can't have fans in the stands, then most of these right. bowl games are not economically viable. And I think a lot of them will not happen this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the ones that do now, the Big Ten, the SEC, they've all pushed their schedule back some. So you're not going to have that big of a layoff between the bowls and when your season. I mean, the Big Ten – what December twelfth is your final regular game, and then you have the game that week of the nineteenth. So your bowl game's two weeks later, at right. you know, most case. So you're not going to have that big layoff in between as far as the COVID part goes. So you can kind of keep the team, you know, as much in their you know quasi bubble as the teams are right now, essentially at the, at their colleges and, and working out in that. So, but I think it's more going to be is you know how many bowls actually get played. I mean, we know the college football playoff most likely will, but. You know, I think the Outback Bowl will. It's it's big enough and strong enough, and television rating wise is. But you know, the Blue Bonnet Bowl, and that that, that that's not the name of it anymore, if it even still exists. But those kind of bowls, it's going to be interesting how many of them actually get played, based on how many fans they can have in the stands. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and and it's disappointing. But you know, as they get closer to when you know when this if these guys do get through the college football season, they'll start looking towards the combine if if they're out of eligibility or they're going to you know forego their senior years and stuff and i think you know there's already been players obviously that have opted out of um you know playing college football already i and out, out, opted out of bowl games after college football i think you'll see more of that um i just think you know it's and look the nfl's having a bigger problem i mean nationwide we're having more cases and it's starting to show up more in the league and in teams now you know are having you know guys each week uh and have to separate them and I don't know. I, I still think I still think we're in for a rougher time in this country uh, for this as we get into the winter months, and and um, I think it's gonna you'll you'll see you'll see that permeate throughout the teams. All right, Les asks, 
The Rays have proved that analytics work over the course of a season, but no small market analytics-driven team has won a World Series. Did this postseason give you hope for a World Series win or confirm that big market teams have a huge advantage in a seven-game series? Um, great question. I, could the Rays have won this series? Yes. Um, are you only going to be good enough to get to a World Series and not win it once you run into the big money, big bashing teams? I mean, forever is a long time. I, I know this. It's hard to get there no matter who you are. And there's been plenty of teams spent a lot of money that didn't sniff the postseason. What the Rays did, they took down. Don't forget, it just you know they didn't play these teams in the World Series, but they did take down the Yankees and they took down the Astros to get to the World Series. And if they'd have met either of those teams, they beat them. So who's to say they wouldn't have beat them? You know, if, if the the sort of the order had been different. But um, the thing about the analytics, and I you know I listen to Bob Costas. We've talked about this on our podcast together is that it's, it is a tool. It is a great tool. It is something that a, a franchise, small money franchise, uh, revenue franchise like the race have to do. Um, and they make use of their whole roster. And when you add the numbers together, it might come out to the same production as a guy making, you know, $200 million a year. And that's just what they, that's just sort of what they have to do where Kevin cash, where this became, you know, where this became such a story is because, you know, you were in the World Series, you needed to win that game, and the game is still played by human beings. And it's and as Bob Costa says, it has a heartbeat. And the confidence that Blake Snell had was it was palatable. You could feel it, you could see it. By the same token, you could see the lack of confidence in their hitters, even though it was the top of their order and he was going to go through it for the third time. He had struck out all those guys twice. And the confidence that Nick Anderson had was in no way as, as high as Blake Snell's. So there are moments where, you know, it just has to be about baseball and hunches and, and just, you know, who's going the best. But, yeah, I mean, look, they took them to six games. Are we are we saying that there's no team that can make it here that's an analytic team that or a small market um, that they can't push it over the top and get to game seven? Because I'm convinced had they gotten to game seven and Charlie Morton was on the mound, they were going to win that one. So, you know, they felt two runs shy in game six. It's nothing to be – embarrassed about uh, i think they can get here uh, i think a team probably will and one will probably win the world series but uh, i'll say this when you get here you, you need to you need to finish the job because mm-hmm. everything changes as we know it's going to next season and you go all the way back down to the mountain yeah i, I think the small market analytics team can win a world series but you got to have some things break your way in that regard i mean mm-hmm. you know you don't have the lineup that the yankees had the astros have the dodgers have and you had to face those in three straight series or even the Blue Jays have, for that matter, in their first round of playoffs. Right. Um, but, you know, did they prove that you could win a World Series? Absolutely. I mean, did anyone did, – did most people – I mean, going in, the Dodgers were the heavy favorite to win the World Series. They were the best team in baseball this year. I don't think there was any question about that if you looked at the regular season. And you looked at what they did in the playoffs. They didn't do anything to dissuade you from that, from that you know, assumption or decision that you thought they were the best team. So – the Rays took him to six games. Could have t- possibly taken him to seven. You know, we'll never know based on the decision that Kevin Cash made. But yeah, they absolutely could win it. You know, but as with any series, you need some breaks to go your way, and that one didn't go their way. Whether you could have foreseen that Nick Anderson wasn't the right call to put there or not, that's up for debate. Uh, you know, he's been so good since they got him, except in this postseason. 
Well, that and that's the thing right there. He, you know, his confidence where it was at mm-hmm. versus where Snell's was was two different places. Well, and afterwards he said he was fatigued, and it, you yeah. know, it was quite obvious when you watched him. I'm not sure right. why the Rays didn't acknowledge that, or they just felt he could get through it. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. You know what they thought going into the game or into that situation. But but isn't that where you're hostage to the numbers? Like you're mm-hmm. a little too hostage because you you mm-hmm. you know they've gotten you there, and so you're like, well, that's the game plan. Like they went in saying. Snell gets through the order twice. We're coming in with Anderson. Well, you know, that's what I've always said with analytics is that you don't know when a guy was up all night with a sick kid and is just t- right. all tired today and doesn't have it. Or, you know, the guy that... Maybe he's fatigued from being yeah. in quarantine. Right. You know, maybe it's maybe it's mentally affecting you. Yeah. Or you the know? left-handed hitter who's been working nonstop in the cages before every game against left-handed pitchers and is improving. But the analytics there hasn't shown go. it yet because you haven't put them in the game enough. Now, you know, those are things you don't know, or the analytics aren't going to tell you on the sheet. Those are things right. you have to observe and, and know and you're coaching and this. I mean, you know, one of the things that analytics can get you in trouble is that sometimes you can make an assumption on a guy too soon. Oh, he can't hit right. left-handers or he can't hit this or he can't pitch out of this situation. And, you know, sometimes you have to let them grow into that too. You can't just let a small subset of analytics early in a career say that's what it's going to be. It has to evolve over time, and you have to give some the right opportunities to, to prove that wrong or disprove that because you know, right. players do improve. Players do work on things. You know, mm-hmm. they, they sit there and go, look, I know I don't hit the slider very well. I'm going to practice that, this offseason. That's all I'm going to work on. And, that's right. You know, and they get better at it. I mean, you know, so it has to evolve, and it, it can't just be the end-all. Be It's a tremendous tool. And if I was right. running a team, I would rely a lot on it. And want as much analytics and information as I can get. But sure, it's, it's not always. It's not. It's not the end all be all factor. There, there can be some times where you go, look, this is a better play right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I'm going to play my hunches. I, I believe the. You know, I feel what this guy is in the zone, and and we're going to ride him. You know, it's his mm-hmm. game to lose. It's his game to win. All right, Michael asks, Will Wander Franco be up with the Rays next year? Well, um, we should probably ask Neil Solons, but. Um, you know, I would have I would have considered the way they were swinging the bats, and I think I said this. You did, and, and I I said it to Mark, and he goes, "I can't imagine they would do that." And, and I know why he said he couldn't imagine. I could. <laughs> I mean, based on the way know, everybody else was hitting, not named Randy Arozarena. Yeah, I mean that was the thing. It was like, well, show me the guy that he could swing the bat worse than. I mean, like you know, we don't want to hurt his confidence, and it's a biggest stage, and you know, what a time to make your major league debut, yada yada yada. But you know what? Um, I literally, I could stand up there and look at strike three to end the world series just as easily as Willie Adamas did. I mean, I, I held the bat very still, didn't have to swing it, watch strike three many times in my career. And so I could have done that. Wander Franco is a good hitter. He's a great player and he's, you know, um, not that far from being a major league player in any event. So I'd give him every chance not only to make this team, but He'd probably be my starting shortstop, but I don't know. Maybe he can play another position. Maybe move Adamas to second. Like I don't know exactly how all that's going to work out. I think defensively yes. would have been an issue for them. Is where you know he's not but nearly the the shortstop that Adamas is. You, you, right. You weren't going to take Wendell out defensively from third base. You right. Know, so at that point, he's got to be a DH. Well, then you're riding Lau to play second. Yeah, I get it. I know it was kind of crowded at the end, but I mean next year. Um, with the way they swung the bats and, and you know, the, the, the acknowledgement by everyone in baseball, he's a number one prospect. I mean, yeah, 
I, I think he's I think he's earned the shot at it. I know? think he'll be up next year. I don't think he starts the season on the roster. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I, I think, for one, he hasn't faced live competition, and at that point will be, what, a year and a half? In a while, yeah, in a year. Um, yeah. You know, that part of it, plus the financial aspect of when your clock starts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you look at you – know, granted, we don't know what moves they'll make this offseason, but you look at – it's a pretty crowded infield right now. Right. Um, with all the players they have. So who are you going to take out? Now, do I think he comes up at some point this year? Absolutely. Could he earn it and stay up once he gets up? Yes. You know, could he, you know, get hot like Randy Rosarina and force his way to stay in the lineup and, and not go back down if, you know, someone's hurt and then comes back? Absolutely. Uh, but I don't think he'll start the season, but I think he'll be up at some point next year, yes. All right, our final question. Michael asked, what do you think happens with the Lightning's Tyler Johnson? Um, wow, great question. Doesn't he eventually wind up in the new franchise uh, in Washington after this year or somewhere? Well, everyone assumes that because he's from the Seattle area. Yeah. So everyone assumes that, oh, he's going to end up with, with the Seattle Kraken when the expansion draft happens after this coming season. Well, two things have to happen for that. One, Seattle has to want him on the team, and we have no idea what, they, what they're looking for at this point. Um, it'd, be a, it'd be a good veteran to have on your team to build a franchise around, a local guy. Um, you know, As far as in the community and marketing, all that could be great, but at that point, do you want him with three years left on his deal at $5 million? If you look at the way Las Vegas built their team, is they took on a lot of veteran contracts, Jason Garrison from the Lightning for one. They got a draft pick out of it as well. But he had one year on his deal. They didn't have to keep that contract for two more years after that. And and in that draft, you had to draft so much money. You couldn't just draft all young guys. You had to – I don't know what the number was, but you had to get to a a certain salary number in that expansion draft. But they took veteran guys, but only guys that had one year left on their deal. So that after that one year – now, all of a sudden, they had all kinds of money to work with in free agency and everything else. They weren't taking contracts that were three more years or two more years left at big numbers. Is Seattle going to do the same thing? We don't know yet. Um, the other part is Tyler has a no – at that point, will be unmodified no move or no trade clause at that point. So, you know, is Seattle one of the teams he wants to go to? Don't know. Sure. Now, the Lightning have asked him this year, it's been reported, that – would he give them a list of teams to trade to? Supposedly he has. He went on waivers. Nobody claimed him. Um, so the Lightning are trying to find a trade partner for him. My guess is mm-hmm. they will find someone. It will be much later in this offseason. Because mm-hmm. right now nobody's taking on money. And he's got four years at $5 million left. Unless the Lightning are willing to throw in a sweetener. Are you going to give up a top prospect? Or a draft mm-hmm. pick to get rid of that contract? You know, right now with a flat salary cap for the next several years, it, it seems we know it's going to be flat next year. And until revenues get back to four point four billion in the NHL, the salary cap's not going to go up. We're assuming that's going to be several years from now. So, are you willing to take a second, third line center at five mil for f- four more years? Right. Probably not, unless you're getting something else back. So the question is: Is how bad did the Lightning want to give up that contract? And they may have to sweeten the deal, whether it's prospects or picks or, you yeah. know. And, and I think a lot of this is going to happen much later in the in the in the off season, and we don't know when the next season is going to begin. So there's not a, there's not even a rush at this point. Right. So I, I, you know, I, I ultimately don't think he'll be with the Lightning next year. 
but it, it you know a lot of it may depend on how much the Lightning are willing to to you know give that up, and if they're willing to sweeten that deal for teams. And speaking of Lightning, uh, don't miss out on a chance to get this uh, terrific gift. I'm telling you, you can save $10 right now uh, by getting the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup Championship book. It's a 160-page hardcover keepsake entitled Thunderstruck, and it's produced by the Tampa Bay Times, all the great stories and the writers. You can relive uh, the entire uh, Lightning run to the Stanley Cup Championship. Go to boltsbook.com. You can place your order. And uh, if you order now, you'll save $10. That's $29.95 plus shipping and handling uh, in the United States. And they'll ship it by December 4th. You'll have it by Christmas. But just remember, this offer expires on November 24th. So make sure you get there now and go to boltsbook.com to order. Uh, tomorrow, we will have the lovely, the talented, it's been a while, Chris Torello of Spectrum Sports Bay News 9, 360, all of that. And then, of course, Matt Baker will be coming aboard later in the week to talk a little college football and the big Florida-Georgia showdown on this weekend. So for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 